Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1440, entitled Man in DeLorean. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is This is the Pod, Volume 3. Now, I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today we will be talking about The Mandalorian, which has peaked in its season three. Eight episodes on Disney Plus. And we also might have a sit down and have some pizza with everyone's favorite Ninja Turtles towards the end of the show today with a special bat guest. <laughs> a very masked show, yeah. masked man show today. Yes. Uh, or oh, could we call a show Bat Mandalorian? You know, it can work that way too. Anyway, which Mandalorian are we talking about in season three? because it's no longer Mando Solo. Mm-hmm. Now, we're back with John Favreau as the showrunner. And look, it's pretty clear to me that the main reason he likes doing The Mandalorian is because he gets to play with all of the Iron Men and women, <laughs> massed Mandalorians. Look, it's although Din Djarin is often taking point in this mm. season, it's, it's all about all of the Mandalorians. Yeah. Well, that's all that are left after the evil Galactic Empire finished glassing their homeworld. And by glassed, I mean they bombarded it from orbit until a large chunk of the surface was vitrified. So, yeah, a lot of it's about the disparate clans of Mandalorians scattered across space, including remnants roaming the bleak surface of Mandalore in wind-powered glass-sailing yachts. Of course. Mm. <laughs> Also, mercenaries in small fleets operating under commission. Uh, mm-hmm. Bo Katan Cries, played by Katie Sackhoff, former ruler of Mandalore, is connected to those. And there are other remnant clans, like the one Mando was linked to and whose armorer forged his Beskar suit for him, and who are hiding in the tunnels beneath the planet Navarro, where Mando was bounty hunting out of. And of course, there are individual bounty hunters like. Din himself, who we will continue to refer to as Mando. <laughs> uh, so season three brings them all together to build a, f- a new reformed community, mm-hmm. united in the purpose of retaking Mandalore as their home, and now that they know that it is actually inhabitable, because they've been there, and not just lethally contaminated, as you'd expect from an orbital bombardment. It's not, by the way, about... Boba Fett, who only wears Mandalorian armor and isn't actually one of them, really. So he doesn't get a guest gig this season. (laughs) He's got his own show. That's all he needs. Yeah, but it means he gets no payback for the crossover that Mando did in the book of Boba Fett. True, (laughs) true. It also, of course, pits them against the series Big Bad, Moff Gideon, 
<laughs> uh, Moff, by the way, if you're not up on that particular bit of Star Wars verbosity, it's just the title that a, like an imperial governor of a sector has, you know, you know, like Moff Tarkin and that kind of thing. Well, they are all moths to his flame because he's played with smugly cool villainy by Jean Cardio Esposito, noted fried chicken and drug lord Gus Fring from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And he's just as much a piece of work in this one. <laughs> he's great at playing those characters and I'm glad he's leaned into it. <laughs> and, of course, we've got more lovable big-eared and eyed puppetry from Grogu. Uh, mm-hmm. or Baby Yoda, as we still think of him, uh, now returned from his training in the Force by Jedi Master Luke Skywalker. Now, Yoda's ride has an upgrade from the anti-gravity pram that he's been getting about in, you know, the, the sort of flying mm. egg, and now he's mm-hmm. actually piloting his own mecha. <laughs> That's the progression we love to see. Yeah. It's actually a gutted battle droid and one we are actually familiar with from the series. So he's, like, in the middle of it sort of, piloting little levers and stuff peeping around i mean they know how to do a good set piece oh and now he's got a, a gadget that would be very useful for cats i reckon a, a button that can go no or yes verbally so there's a lot of <laughs> no 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 <laughs> yes <laughs> oh such a great character so, of course, we have Pedro Pascal coming back as Din Djarin, the Mandalorian himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, although this season he doesn't actually take his helmet off at all. A shame. Mm. To my to my memory. Because he, he goes to a great deal of trouble at the start to um, stop being an apostate. You know, in the Mandalorian clan that he's kind of linked together with, they don't take their helmets off ever in public they can take them off by themselves to eat with so they're all like golf by themselves so no social eating for mandalorians i imagine you can have a drink by sticking a straw up under there oh yeah there'd be ways it's probably got it's probably got a uh, a camel pack in the back you know that you can <laughs> yeah with a little tubing yeah to sip from um this is the way and it's interesting that you know you can also get credit for that character from two other actors as well. Brendan Wayne sometimes mm-hmm. inhabits the armour as well. And he's John Wayne's grandson. Oh. And that has informed his performance when he's in the suit. Uh, mm. He um, gives this, well, very much a, a stuntman sort of look at it, but he's also incorporated Western influences as in cowboys. So, like, nice. you, know, you can watch him walking around in the suit and you can often tell that he's he's doing the John Wayne walk or he'll give you a pose that's straight out of a John Ford Western. Mm. You know, there's a lot. It's a bit too perfect, isn't it? The space Western with the grandson of the great Western actor, but. Well, this is what they channel with uh, the Mandalorian, both samurai movies and Ronin movies and, yeah. you know, also Westerns. So that certainly works well. And in, speaking of space Westerns, uh, Brendan Wayne started working with John Favreau on Cowboys and Aliens. So, yeah, Way back a when. A theme yep. there. He was also in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and also was on the Angel series. Oh. So, you know, uh, opposite David uh, Boreanaz. And also uh, did a remake of a John Wayne movie called Angel and the Bad Man. <laughs> not, not the same Angel. So he can take credit for the performance too, along with Latif Crowder 
who is another one of the onset doubles, uh, who's a Brazilian-American actor, a martial artist, and a stuntman. And so he's been in quite a few things like The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, and Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. So just to credit that this is actually like, you know, a three-handed performance in many ways. Actually, in the first season when Pedro did actually take off his helmet, um, I think he was being doctored by that actual battle droid. Um, Is it Mm. IG-11, the Taika Waititi Voice. Yeah, the Taika Waititi voice droid. Yeah, uh, and it didn't count because when he took his helmet off because it was a droid, you know. Oh, that's slanderous, really. Um, but <laughs> Pedro was, walked around without his helmet and he broke his nose on a piece of plywood from the set. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's like protective helmet for the whole season. <laughs> yeah, the one day. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> anyway. Uh, obviously, Pedro Pascal has had many other gigs and, of course, is doing uh, The Last of Us as well, playing the lead yeah, in that, yeah. escorting another child across a difficult it, landscape. It really is zombified uh, Mandalorian. He's just found father is his vibe at the moment, and I think he does it well. I bet he wished he had the Beskar suit in that, though. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Now. I thought we'd just give you a bit of music now, riffing off what we were talking about last week, which was the movie Tetris. I knew this was coming. Rob's 8-bit versions of stuff. (laughs) Star Wars, the Imperial March in 8-bit, and it is from the 8-bit universe album. Volume 10. (laughs) Be afraid. Be very afraid. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G, the science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show on 3 Triple R FM. Life is but a game. <laughs> In 8 Bits, the Imperial March from 8 Bit Universe, Volume 10. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, so back to The Mandalorian, which is eight episodes in Season 3 on Disney+. Plus. The other two seasons are also there. Ha- a Season 4 has been greenlit, so mm-hmm. look out for that one in due course. But for now, this is what we have. Uh, mostly the story in those eight episodes encompasses the, the journey that uh, The Mandalorian and The Mandalorians have to go mm-hmm. to retake their home world. We also, of course, have to deal with baby Yoda, Grogu, who has now returned from his force training and mm-hmm. is quite upgraded in many ways. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, we actually do see him do Jedi Knight-like stuff in this one. And as I said, at times you wonder whose show this is because a lot of it is about Auntie Bo. Uh, Bo Katan Kreese, who's well known to us from the Star Wars Clone Wars series, amongst other locations. Katie Sackhoff reprising her voice acting role from the animated series and now doing it in live action. That is classy. Yeah, I like that. And she's also lucky because her Mandalorian clan doesn't have to wear helmets all the time, they don't follow that way. So she gets to appear on screen quite a bit. There's a a scene early on where she's in her castle. Of course, she has a castle, and and she Amanda arrives in his ship, and she is found just lounging casually on her throne. Mm. And there's a popular meme I think on uh, TikTok 
where someone takes that off and it's like they're sitting at their computer doing something and then they hear Mando's ship and they go, oh, my God, put their helmet on, go running across, you know, <laughs> and just casually to be found on the front. Get into position. And I saw an interview where Katie was talking about that. She said, I saw that online. She said, that's exactly what I thought she did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she's great. It, it, she, of course, is from Battlestar Galactica. So she knows all about how to defeat robots and other sorts of things. <laughs> and she brings quite a bit to the role. And this is what people could see as a weakness of this series. We're focusing more upon the ensemble cast than the Mandalorian. Yes. So we lose that wonderful sort of feeling of the solo Ronan bounty hunter, yep. you know, town of the week, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's no longer like that. But I think they've actually earned that by season three to be able to expand the universe. Yeah, Yeah. keep it fresh as well. Like I think, you know, the solo hero's journey, um, having it diverge into something else is smart. There is some more divergence in this. We go off to have an episode where we see what's happening to Penn Pershing, played by Mm -hmm. Omid Abate who is a scientist who was working with Moff Gideon on the cloning processes that he was developing, and he got captured by the Rebel Alliance and so uh, is now being rehabilitated. The, the, the Republic, I should say, the New Republic, has a, a rehabilitation program for old Imperials. Oh. Yeah, because there'd be a lot of them, you know. So. Yeah, <laughs> need support. Yeah. They have their own little uh, special badges and everything, so it's not they're not entirely allowed to roam free. There's a perimeter, and he's on the uh, imp- old Imperial throne world of Coruscant, uh, being rehabilitated and trying to work in um, more menial jobs than he's formerly been used to. And there's another yep. Imperial officer, Elia Kane, there, who is played by Katie M. O'Brien, and we've seen her before playing the role of Gentora in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. And she's also George. Oh, yes. She's also George in uh, the zombie show Z Nation. She's been in uh, Black Lightning and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and lots of different shows mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we have been following. And she is there playing uh, an Imperial officer who's obviously still linked to the bad guys because mm-hmm. well, because she's talking to Moff Gideon. So a dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit of a hint there. And this is like a sort of a... a an episode to one side, which is feels like it's laying in some seeds for future episodes as well. And it, it sits a bit odd. I was going to say, did it break up the pace a bit? Sometimes those are done really well. Like I think Mythic Quest does a bit of a standalone very well. Yeah. But often in shows, I think it, it breaks breaks the speed, breaks the pace. So, mm. yeah. I felt it did a bit. I'll, I'll allow them it for one episode. And obviously mm. there's going to be some more repercussions from that later on, I would say. And also at the same time, this show doesn't exist in a vacuum anymore on TV. It's got, you know, Book of Boba Fett, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, yeah. the other couple of spin-off series that they going to have, you know. so Yeah. It's literally a whole universe. Like it's a crossover, it's the Star Wars universe, and it's all got little, little tangles going out to each different property. Look, it's going to take people different ways. Uh, I'm finding this far more enjoyable than the main Star Wars universe has ever been. Uh, mm. and, and that might be a little bit unfair because, you know, eight episodes, that's like eight mo- little mini movies. So they've got a lot to play with in this in terms of space. 
Yeah, and to do developing character, building new worlds and that, you know, and you don't have to think so much about what's going to get people in seats at the cinema, box office draw. You can let people come to you when you're a TV show. But I hear what you're saying. I think they've also made the most of it and they've churned out some really great stuff in these TV series. There are, of course, lots of other actors in this, although you wouldn't know. Maybe it's the same person in all the Mandalorian suits. <laughs> they're just <laughs> they're just cloning them. Ah, oh, well, that's been done before. But, you know, we've got um, Simon Cassianides playing Axe Woves, the captain of the Mandalorian fleet. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, um, uh, Tate Fletcher playing Paz Vizsla, the heavy infantry Mandalorian, who was originally mm-hmm. voiced by John Favreau in one of the animated mm-hmm. shows. Uh, no longer in, in this. I'm busy. He's a little bit busy, I guess. <laughs> so, He's got a lot going on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And other guest stars in this who show up, we've got Jack Black, mm-hmm. uh, Lizzo playing. Yes. And Christopher Lloyd as well. Yeah. And, and special guest star, Armoured Best, playing a Jedi or perhaps a Padawan. I'm not sure exactly what rank he is. Oh, robes, you know, who knows. <laughs> but Armoured Best, of course, played Jar Jar Binks. And in a way, you know, and was treated rather shabbily by the fans in general. Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. got nothing against the actor. I wasn't very fond of the character. So, yeah, two different things. You know, and, it, and it's a difficult call, isn't it, really? The, the, the venom and vitriol that can be thrown at uh, can stick to the actors too, and that's hurtful. Yeah, I think fans can be very cruel sometimes and not realise it behind the performances. And, you know, these are real people <laughs> and and they're affected by these things. Yeah, so Armoured Best is, has a really good part in this story, I thought. Excellent little cameo kind of thing from him and perhaps he will appear more in future ones and also amy sedaris is in there too uh, huh. so you know there's a few people in this that you think oh what are they doing here i don't care it's all fun and it's their mates of john favor i guarantee you it's they've had pizza at john's place one day and they've gone i oh, love what you're doing with mandalorian and then he's like come on the show and of course our chef made that pizza himself exactly his own wood-fired pizza or whatever yeah oh and christopher lloyd which is why we call this show man in delorean today i didn't get that and that is exceptionally clever it's not my not my pun i saw it in a meme and i thought i've got to co-op that for the show today (laughs) so yeah all of that in play in season three of the mandalorian which I, I think worked really quite well. And let's have a, another bit of music here. The Apostate. And Ludwig Goranson has pr- provided much beautiful music for the Mandalorian series. Uh, mm-hmm. one of, I think one of our favourite new, let's call him, composers. Yeah, agree. You know, and although his presence is in here because there are quotes from his theme and so on, it's more Joseph Shirley's soundtrack mm-hmm. for season three. And Joseph Shirley has done work on uh, Creed 3. Remember that mm-hmm. sort of rocky kind of spin-off? Uh, the Book of yeah. Boba Fett and, of course, The Mandalorian in previous series. So uh, taken over from the composer in this one, but still quoting from Ludwig's fine score for The Mandalorian. And this is the apostate, and this is like, you know, Mando, he's trying to atone for taking his helmet off. And so he has to go and bathe in the waters underneath Mandalorian's Mandalore's surface and that's caused all sorts of complications and is a difficult journey but nothing that Auntie Bo can't help him with 
So the apostate here from The Mandalorian Season 3, Volume 1, Chapter Whatever. <laughs> this is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. The apostate from The Mandalorian Season 3, Joseph Shirley and Ludwig Goddenson there. Wow, I, I can imagine playing like tom-tom drums. <laughs> bongo drums sorry that's the word bongo drums on the helmets <laughs> so we do but we'll leave that to ewoks i'm sure they do that uh, i think a more of a an orchestral version that one yes yeah hmm. and we're talking about the mandalorian season three disney plus eight episodes have dropped and it's not the last of the series there's another series to come hopefully yeah uh, actually yeah. it has been greenlit anyway so it, they're on a good wicket with it. I'm not that surprised that it was uh, approved for another season. Mm. Carl Weathers, of course, returns as Grief Karga, the former bounty hunter master, now mayor of Navarro. So he's gone legit. A lot of people in this orbit <laughs> go legit. Carl Weathers, of course, who has fought the Predator mm-hmm. and Rocky as Apollo Creed. <laughs> yeah. to mention that and there you go. so many different roles he's had in his time ex-football player and you know now we're calling him grandpa grief in context of calling the mandalorian leader auntie Bo. so you know they're all you, you define people in the show and their relationship to grogu <laughs> yeah the centerpiece the centerpiece <laughs> yes and he's learned so much in this and you will get to see him in Firm action. Look, it all winds up on Mandalore, and there's a big battle, of course, where you get to see all of the rocketeers. Sorry, the the <laughs> the Iron Mandalorians in full combat mode. Uh, so yeah. it's not just Mando by himself. Uh, people are lost. Sacrifices are made. And if of I may course. make sort of a, an anti-spoiler here, or an anti-spoiler, if you want to go with Bo, the thing that they tried to establish or at least it it came across to most of us fans was that there might have been a traitor ah gotcha Mm. but it turns out that there wasn't it it wasn't the armorer it wasn't bow it wasn't grogu or axe woes or anyone there was no traitor so they were just working together they were just working together all along how's that for a twist it was friendship all along yeah yeah uh, Emily Swallow continues to play the armorer and never mm-hmm. takes their helmet off, of course, because that is not the way. We also know her on from a role in The Mentalist. Oh, yes. And yes. as Amara, the darkness in the 11th season of Supernatural, I remember her from oh. that. Yeah, great actor. And, and she's got the perfect voice for being in that suit. You know, yeah. Yeah, great stuff there. So, you know. Sometimes you feel like when you're getting a lot of guest actors like Christopher Lloyd and Jack Black, especially since they're on the same episode and Lizzo, it feels like they jumped the shark a bit, like here's our celebrity guest. But it didn't really work out that way. They they, they were a piece and they made sense in context okay. of the story. So, yeah, I have enjoyed The Mandalorian Season 3 a great deal. I appreciated the fact that they expanded the universe. Yes, it is a definite change of gear from the solo sort of stories that they've yeah. done before. Uh, and, you know, you had to go somewhere with it. Yeah, yeah, you can't do the same thing. I mean, shows do, but it's best if you evolve. But in the tradition of many a good Western, uh, mm-hmm. 
they do roll it back until it's just Mandu and Grogo once again. And the way they do that, if I may spoil it slightly if you haven't seen it, it's just this beautiful shot of them together yeah. in, a, in a situation that puts them in a good place to continue forwards. You know, so, nice. yeah. The yeah. heart of the show. Yeah. And they don't forget that they are actually working in the New Republic mm-hmm. and that things are going to tighten up a bit as civilization spreads and reasserts itself. So, you know, they are sort of running into that for future stories. I have just thought that these three seasons are the best Star Wars I've ever seen. Oh, you know, yeah. And it moves my heart that the whole relationship between Grogu and Mando, you know, I mean, that's a whole thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think, and, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, Grogu's a definite draw. I think the puppetry and the personality and that chemistry between them is such a big part of the show. But it wouldn't be this successful if it was just that. I think they've also done a lot to build out the world around them, create compelling stories, and three seasons worth of that. I think they should be very proud. It will be interesting to see what goes into the fourth season and beyond. Mm, Indeed. Well, what shall we play as a track? right now i I want more from the soundtrack Mm, it's a great score yeah let me go with and this is the um adelphi jukebox Mm -hmm. so it's again by joseph shirley and ludwig goranson sort of hanging around the background there since he's the composer and this is from the mandalorian soundtrack album this is satanic jacoby zero g or not zero G? That is the question. And the answer is that it definitely is zero G, and that was a track from the Mandalorian soundtrack album, season three. And I think that was uh, might have been volume one because it's split into two volumes. The the album, and we're talking about that today on zero G Disney Plus. Third season, eight episodes have dropped. And I enjoyed the expansion of the universe, as we were talking about before. I also like the fact that we pretty much closed off the storylines for several characters. <laughs> you know, when you do that in Star Wars, you never know for sure, though. So Closed off. I love that phrasing. Intriguing. Yeah. Now, you would think that what happens to some of the characters in this, there's no coming back from. But, you know, heck, I reckon that hell is going to reappear in the Marvel Universe one day. So... Yeah, never say never. Yeah, exactly. Or Navarro in this case. (laughs) Yeah, so we've had space pirates in this one, you know, not riding around being chased by people on space Vespers at the moment, although I like that. I don't care if it was a Mm. a low-speed chase. I enjoyed that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, so we've had Mando come back into into the way uh, in no uncertain terms. And I did feel at some stage that because there were so many people in play, it meant that we had to resort to a feeling like there was a box ticking going on of different things. But they provided enough detail to make it interesting to me. And, you know, as I said, I was moved by both Grogu and Mando's little journeys and also, you know, some of the gallant last stands of some characters that we got in this one. But there was some fear that maybe... Uh, Din himself would uh, buy a bit of the farm, but, you know, mm. doesn't happen in this. And, of course, we had to follow the journey of the dark saber as well, which yes. sort of actually fizzles out a little bit if, you know, you can use that in terms of an electronic 
weapon, but it does sort of just get handed over in a bit of interesting plot ledger domain, like almost going, aha. <laughs> and it's actually, it's, the trouble is, of course, you can't fault it because it's actually entirely logical what, what they do. And I thought, okay, I'll buy by that. That was a bit audacious in a quiet sort of way. Uh, so, okay, I'm looking forward to the next series. And, you know, long may he roam the deserts looking for bounties. And now he's doing it sort of on a legit kind of level, sort of. Yeah. It's still off the Sort of. <laughs> still off the books. <laughs> still <laughs> off the books. All right. Now we are going to have another track from the Mandalorian soundtrack album, a little bit of a, a longer one here. And, you know, it all ends up in one climactic space stoush. As it should. As it should. And you could so see Tony Stark pitching in in this because it's such a, <laughs> a strong story, which as all of the Mandalorian series have been known for, really good stunt choreography and yeah. fighting that makes best use of the armour. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it really does fly off. I've heard, um, uh, for example, I think it was the Tower of London armourer commenting mm. about the work in The Mandalorian. He'd be pointing it out, look at that. He knows that his armour can take that hit, so he just pushes through it and does what he has to yeah. do. You know, it's, and it's all very, very flexible. I, you know, I can talk about that forever, so it's not. <laughs> let's go. Let's take back our planet meaning Mandalore, <laughs> Joseph Shirley and Ludwig Goranson from The Mandalorian, Season 3, Volume 2. This is Richard Hatch. I played Captain Apollo in the original Battlestar Galactica and Tom Zarek in the new series. You're listening to Zero G on 3RRR-FM. And I am not and have never been a Cylon. Probably. <laughs> oh. What a theme! <laughs> Before that, we had... Let's take our planet back from The Mandalorian. Joseph Shirley and Ludwig Goranson there giving us a rousing send-off for Mando uh -huh. until he comes back again. <laughs> <laughs> and we also uh, had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle theme, which may have been a cover, but it was pretty close to the original one I remember from television. Mm. And everybody remembers that, you know. That's it the, tapped into a little memory bank I have that I didn't know I had, yeah. <laughs> come from a, an EP called Let's Kick Shell. <laughs> Cowbunga, dude. So Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is an animated movie on Stan. <laughs> of course it is. And you know what? I, I, I just wonder why they bothered with live-action DC movies. <laughs> <laughs> when they could be doing this the whole time. Yeah, and they have been. This is, this is mm, the thing, though. True. You know, so, okay, Batman, 1939, Detective Comics, DC, mm -hmm. artist Bob Kane and writer Bill Finger, and we have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1984, Eastman and Laird. Would these two franchises, which, as you know, are both massive, would they yeah. collide? Yes, they did. Of course. <laughs> they did. In a six-issue intercompany crossover comic book miniseries uh, featuring Batman and the IDW publishing houses, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, you know, beyond all the other ones from the original stuff now that got together. So this movie loosely adapts them together. So both of those franchises. 
come in here, get munged together, come out in a nice sort of thick crusted tasty pizza. And mm. it is awesome. I didn't know what to expect watching this. I thought we'd be more in that sort of 80s sort of mode of yeah. the turtles. But this is actually quite yeah. a serious movie in a lot of regards. Oh, you know, you know, really? You can tell that from the opening titles, which are noir. So, And, of course, the original uh, TMNT comics were in black and white. Wow. So it gives a great impression. Of course, Batman is the Dark Knight detective. Yep. So beautiful work there in the titles. And before we know it, we are subjected to a, an attack of the foot clan of ninjas playing okay. off the hand clan of ninjas in the Marvel Very Universe. Clever. Because as mm-hmm. you know, the, t- the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are an homage to Daredevil, the same truck yeah. that was carrying the ooze, the radioactive ooze that fell into the sewer that, that mutated the turtles, is the same canister that hit young Matt Murdock in the head blinding him. So (laughs) it's the same thing. Uh, So it's ironic that we're in the DC universe and not the Marvel universe here, but that's Hmm. that's the way it worked out. And you know what? Batman and the Turtles, perfect. Of course, they don't operate in the same city. The Turtles are in New York and Batman is in Gotham City, which is, of course, is a bit of a clone of New York anyway. Which is New York, yeah. (laughs) And that is commented upon in this very meta-knowing film. Oh, okay. That's the turtles. The only difference between Gotham and New York is the random dirigibles that fly for no particular reason, which are actually given a reason in this movie, which is hilarious. (laughs) So, yeah, the foot are there with Shredder, the the villain from the turtles, uh, and they are connected to Ras Agul, the Mm -hmm. assassin master in the Batman universe. In the the comic books, the turtles are actually coming from an alternate universe. But Mm -hmm. this is a movie. We have no time for that kind of nuance. Yeah. and They're there. They're just there from (laughs) New York, basically. Love it. They they actually thought, they've heard of Batman, but they thought he was an urban legend. (laughs) Okay. I like that. Don't waste time with exposition we don't need. I would have thought that. Batman would have said something like, I would have thought that Clark would have told me about the turtles. He's been to New York, you know, or Metropolis, whichever one is the case. There's another clone of New York in that. Exactly. Although I thought that uh, Gotham was a little bit more Chicago as well. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a 2019 animated superhero film directed by Jake Castorina and written by Marley Halpern Grazer. And as I said, it's based on the uh, the uh, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books. So they've already got book for this one, and they do a good job of adapting it too, I think. Uh, so we've got Batman, Robin, and Batgirl, and all of the crazies, the bonkers supervillains from yeah. Gotham City in there, going up against the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Shredder is also in this too. So, you know, it's this, we don't really care much about the... <laughs> the overarching plot there, but we do care that it allows them to use the ooze and power up gotcha. some of the Gotham villains who are already pretty formidable anyway. You know, like, yeah. um, what's her name? Uh, Poison Ivy yep. going full plant monster with, with an amusing, uh, <laughs> shall we say, weakness. Oh. Yeah, because she's a plant, she's actually rooted to the ground. So all you have to do is walk out of range of her. 
<laughs> she can't go anywhere. She can't go anywhere. That's a little spoiler there, but a hilarious one. So they never forget that they are actually being a bit comedic in this. And there are some <laughs> interesting issues with this one because um, Batman is rather overprotective of um, Batwoman and also, or Batgirl in this case, um, and also of uh, Robin because of events in the Bat universe. So, you know, and he has to learn to loosen up a little bit there. And if you need loosening up, then the turtles are the perfect dudes to do that. Oh, yeah, they're the they're the, the turtles for the job. Yeah, exactly. There's some great stuff in this. Uh, as I was saying, the, the animation is actually really good. You know how we were talking about the Mandalorian before about their fight mm. scenes? For an animated mm. movie, the fight scenes in this are great. They're crisp, oh, wow. well-drawn. You can follow the action really well. Uh, I will say that it is actually quite a bloody movie. Yeah, wow, okay. You know, they mean, make the most of it being animated to just do what they want. Yeah, so parental discretion might be required because you might just assume this is a, okay, I'll just leave the kids with it. Yeah. But at one stage, one of the uh, the Foot Clan takes a shuriken in the head, you know, oh. and there are decapitations in this. Right, okay. You know. <laughs> I mean, it's only cartoon characters, but nevertheless, you might want to know that going into it. Uh, there's a lot of story in the background of this that I don't need to go into for this because it's all in the comic book, so you might want to go in this. But, you know, how can you go wrong with shurikens versus batarangs and, uh, you know, the fact that um, the weird turtle world actually meshes pretty well into the weird Gotham world too. And there's a Jeff Goldblum mimicry in this too. There's a, a character who's called Baxter Stockman who's a fly, like, you know, a, a house fly sort of writ large. And I swear that the voice actor is mimicking Jeff in this. In fact, I know A little throwback, him. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> for sure. So, you know, you will enjoy this if you're a Batman fan and a Turtle fan. Uh, they they know when to lighten up and go for pizza action and you know yeah and just the just to hear Batman speak the words ninjas turtles <laughs> in the same sentence I just never thought and it gets even better than that too but I won't give that one away yet so yeah it's just a great little film and I enjoyed it absolutely thoroughly so highly recommended and you know there have been quite a few. Uh, animated Batman films, and we've talked mm. about some of them on the show as we go along. You know, Batman Ninja, that was a great one. Mm -hmm. Batman versus Dracula. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Gotham by Gaslight, which is a steampunk sort of one. Oh, very cool. So check out that one. Uh, the, I think the Ninja one from memory, they took, it back, took us back to um, uh, Samurai-era Japan. So, you know, there was that kind of thing in play with that one. But there, and there are a great many other ones too, like just a list of Batman animated movies. Mm. Before you get into the weird crossovers like Scooby Doo and Batman, <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's like, yeah. So I, I would watch these till the end of time, the, uh, the DC mm. animated movies. And yeah. more power to them. And maybe they should just get the writers of these things just to do some. Like they had a terrific Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. You know, but, hey, what can I say? I don't need to elevate this movie by pressing Express Elevator to Hell on the on the live-action ones. And as we know, that's going too far, actually, because there have been some great DC movies, uh, including the ones from the past, like the 70s Superman movies, the 
the, yeah. uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies, you know, some, some of the Christopher Nolan movies are really great movies, you know. But, you know, we don't have to go there. Uh, all right, so if you want to see that movie, it's on Stan. What was the full title again, Rob? Oh, it is just basically Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But then self-explanatory. It is actually. It's, it's all on. It's all on the uh, the ooze bottle there. Mm. All right. So um, we do have time for an out track today, and we actually have time for another track, don't we? Do we? Yeah. Do that? We could probably do two. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we'll riff off the fact that we did um, talk about Lizzo, the American singer who appears in The Mandalorian in a cameo, hilarious cameo, alongside Jack Black, who plays mm. a, uh, I think his name is, his title is Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. And they call him Bombardo, but it's spelled Bombardier. Yeah, I saw that too. Int- well, who knows? Is that another one of those things where in the United States they can't say Moriarty, but they say Moriarty? Oh, really? Mm, yeah. yeah. No, I don't yeah. want to engage oh, with look, that. You know, it's just different, different pronunciation. Different dialects. All good. It's just that we, we have a more sort of um, English-centric. Yes. But not after 100 years of Hollywood. <laughs> so, mm. so let's have a track called um, Turtle Power, and this yep. is by W-A-S-H, Wash. Uh, and it's a single that they put out, and it just samples bits of the total stuff. And then we'll slide right over into Staying Alive. Sounds good. Lizzo's version from Happy Death Day to You. A great sequel to a great horror movie, by the way. So that's it for Zero G, which is an entirely other kind of horror movie. And we will go out with these two tracks paired together. And Joe Brunetic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you to Ella Savage, our long-suffering podcaster. (laughs) Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. Cowbunga dudes. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.